0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You
1: from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen over uh, holiday break. I spent some time reoccurring myself with one of my favorite television shows. It's not on the air anymore. Uh, it's called Arrested Development.
0: Oh, such a good one.
1: And, uh, one of, one of my favorite plot lines in Arrested Development is some, some cousin lust.
0: Cousin lust.
1: That's how I'm gonna define it. Uh, there's a character named George Michael. It's a character named Maybe. They're first cousins. And yet they can't deny the feelings between them. <laughs> well, I think George Michael
0: can't deny his feelings toward Maybe. We, we're not entirely sure if, if Maybe wants him back.
1: Uh, I believe in season two, the whole reason she wants to get with Steve Holt is because she's got the crush on George Michael.
0: See, obviously, I need to reacquaint myself with the rest of development as well.
1: And I mean, I don't know. Is it a spoiler alert if the show's been off for like a few years now?
0: No, people should have watched it by now. Guys, you hear that? You should have watched it by now. And maybe it'd still be on the air.
1: But I just want to say there's a point when these cousins get married. And the whole, you know, George Michael really struggles with this guilt he's got for his cousin because it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem proper. The marriage, you know, it freaks both of them out. But the fact of the matter is that show takes place in California, which makes a marriage between first cousins perfectly legal. Yes. Throw away your preconceived notions of hillbillies marrying their cousins, which I think is a very common stereotype. But cousin marriage is legal in California, but not in Kentucky. Right, it's kind of weird. It's uh it's illegal
0: in 25 states. Mm-hmm. AKA half the union, you know. So it's kind of a roll of the dice. <laughs> maybe you, you can get married, maybe not. Here in our fair state of Georgia, it is kind of unsurprisingly legal. Um but it's also legal in all of Europe and mm-hmm. Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, the US is kind of you know, just holding out on the rest of the world with his cousin marriage stuff. Right.
1: Maybe that's why Arrested Development didn't catch on outside the U.S. because they watch the show and they're like, so he so he likes his cousin. I mean, George Michael takes maybe to see this movie. It's a French movie about love between cousins. He keeps going, I like the way they think. (laughs) But that's how a lot of the world thinks. It's like the U.S. didn't get this memo that cousins are okay. But are they? As soon as you hear this, you're like, I don't want to marry my cousin. But... There are people out there that do want to marry their cousin.
0: There, yeah, and uh, there was this article that we ran across from uh, 2009, November 2009, very recent, uh, talking about some first cousins who had gotten married. And my favorite part of the article was when she said that she refers to her partner as her, or her spouse as her husband.
1: It's adorable
0: know if adorable is the right word but it it's is unique. something it's unique yes and evidently they have this uh fam this couple picture of themselves and and the frame says cousins at the top and then the bottom is like the best thing in life is family or something like that it really freaks them all out
1: it freaks them all out i will say that that's where um that couple kind of crossed the line between me being sympathetic for them and me being a little freaked out yeah because, I, I mean, if you're going to put a picture of yourself as a couple in a frame, I don't know if I would have picked the cousin cousin's frame. Yeah. Um, but, again, that may just be our preconceived notions coming into this. So let's take a backward step, look at it with our clear-eyed, open-minded view we try to bring to mom stuff. Yes. And I think that most people, when they think about cousins getting married, is like, what will happen to the children? Yes. Will and I have a child who is eight-armed and cross-eyed? Probably not, Molly. No, of course not. And we know this from a very often cited article in the Journal of Genetic Counseling in 2002. Lay it on us, Kristen. Yes.
0: This groundbreaking study said that the risk of serious genetic defects like spina bifida and cystic fibrosis in the children of first cousins does exist, but it is very small. 1.7 to 2.8 percentage points higher than for children of unrelated risk, who face a three to four percent risk, and that's basically a direct quote from the New York Times. Um, and this is roughly equivalent to that of children of women
1: giving birth in
0: their early
1: forties. Right. We've all heard that there's a higher risk of of something going wrong with the child if the if the mother's over forty. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's the same risk you have if you. Uh, have a child with your cousin. Now, the mortality rate in that 2002 article of a child of first cousins was given as being 4.4 percentage points higher than uh, the child of unrelated parents, which does seem pretty high. But more recent studies are suggesting that that's coming down, that it might just be like 3.5 percent points higher.
0: Yeah. Now, Molly, for this podcast, I think we're going to need to put on our science lab coats. okay? because we're going to have to talk about Talk about genetics. Talk about some science stuff, because when we're talking about the risks of inbreeding, which you know, cousin, cousin love, it's inbreeding, folks. Uh, the thing that is going to determine whether or not we're going to have some sort of crazy defects has to go. It has to do with founder effect, and founder effect is basically when the you take the two genes from the two parents and what happens when you combine them together in a genetic stew pot.
1: So in that genetic stew pot, what you want to minimize are things called lethal recessives. These are the things that will eventually lead to neurodegenerative diseases, the, you know, the the variant genes that can pop up and wreak havoc on a child. Mm-hmm. Now, if you start with a really great bloodline, then the fact is that you're, you know, you're minimizing your chance of the recessives passing their way down. The reason that inbreeding can make people nervous is that if, you know, one parent has the recessive and one parent doesn't because they're unrelated, then the chance that the child will get the recessive is minimized. Right. However, if your cousin has the recessive and you have the recessive, then the child will likely have a recessive gene and have Uh, higher risk for something down the line that can compromise their health.
0: And obviously the chances of the two uh, very closely related parents having the same uh, recessive genes are much higher because they're more genetically similar. And uh, it's interesting that there's an article that we found in Discover Magazine talking about uh, genetics and inbreeding and all of that. And it points out that um, the Rothschild kind of dynasty that practiced inbreeding Didn't have a lot of genetic defects that were passed down the line because they had a healthy founder effect. Like the two parents who started had, uh, you know, healthy genes and it kind of went down the line and there weren't all these weird diseases that popped up later in life. But that's not always the case.
1: But the thing about, um, this now is that with the rise of genetic testing, we'll all be able to know what recessive genes we have. And you know, you think back to the podcast we did about how we'll have children in the future. I mean, it's very possible that two cousins could get tested, see that, you know, neither's the carrier for the recessive gene or that one is and one isn't. And they'll know that's a good match and that they could go ahead and have a baby.
0: Yeah. And maybe we should point out uh, on the pro side of cousin marriage, uh, Discover points out that there are three major reasons why why it's it could be a good thing. First of all, you have um, a shared set of cultural values. All right. There's a higher chance that your spouses are going to be compatible because your family already, your family, you know, family reunions will just be like just coming over on a Saturday. for Game night. So easy. And then, uh, you minimize the need to break up family wealth as in the case of the Rothschilds. And I think the DuPont family also practice inbreeding. At some point, for for those purposes, to keep
1: the wealth in the family, keep the
0: money in the family.
1: Yeah, actually, it was pretty interesting. Discover points out that what the Rothschilds did was that um, female descendants were cut off from any sort of inheritance. So to get their due, they had to marry their cousin.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, Albert Einstein and Charles Darwin both married first cousins. So you know, it's it's looking good for cousins
1: so it far. It looks good, but you know, it's not all it's not all love and roses. Let's turn our attention to a community, uh, Bradford, England, where uh, it's very common for the Pakistanis who live there to marry their cousins.
0: Yes, the majority of this community can trace their origins all the way back to a village in Kashmir. And uh, a lot of it's a, a pretty common cultural practice for uh, these people to, to, you know, to marry close cousins. But that's had negative health effects over the years. Specifically, the BBC reports um, that at least 55% of British Pakistanis are married to first cousins. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's pretty common among other South Asian communities and some Middle Eastern communities as well. Um, but it says on the whole, British Pakistanis are 13 times more likely to have children with genetic disorders than the general population. And they account for just over 3% of all births, but have just under one third of all British children with such illnesses, and they think this is largely attributed to inbreeding.
1: Right. So it, it basically it's unpredictable. You can draw a good hand like the Rothschilds. You can draw a shoddy hand like the people in Bradford. So that's sort of the genetic side of it. That's a large part of why people oppose marriage between cousins. So let's take a step back and say if there's, you know, a, it's a genetic crapshoot as to how the children will turn out, what are the other reasons for objecting two cousins getting married. Um, The Bible says it's okay. There's no restriction in the Bible of of marriage between cousins. Right. Um, But this is an argument that's come up before. Slippery slope. Yes. If you let your, you know, if you let two cousins get married or all of a sudden is a daughter going to want to marry a father? Is a brother going to want to marry a sister? That's when you start to feel a little...
0: little icky. But I think this is a good time to point out the difference between inbreeding and incest. A lot of times we kind of lump the two together because, you know, obviously incest is a form of inbreeding. But in nature, inbreeding can have very positive results. This Discover article points out um, a study that was done uh, by a biologist, William Shields at the State University of New York, um, looking at the way that young birds will inbreed, but they will avoid incest. They uh, leave the nest but, and they move about four or five home ranges away, not super far away. So they're still going to be pretty closely related to uh, the birds that they end up mating with. However, they're staying away from the other birds in their home nest.
1: So the thinking is that if you're too familiar with the people in your nest, be it birds or humans... Then, um, then you won't want to marry them, but you'll want someone who's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, our ancestors couldn't really move that far away. They're like the birds. They can only go a few nests over. And so Discover estimates that, what, like 80% of all marriages in history are between people who are as closely related as second cousins? Yeah. And, uh, Patrick Bateson, who's a pr-
0: professor of Ethology at Cambridge, um, kind of argues that, that, you know, if you go too far outside of your, you know, genetic line, it can have unintended negative results. And he points to the example of the difference of teeth and jaw size. Like if I, you know, I have. I don't know how to describe my teeth, but let's say I marry someone lovely. I have perfect teeth, <laughs> and if I marry someone with weird scraggly teeth, and our kids might have kind of crazy jaws. That's basically his uh, <laughs> his argument. And and these days it would be fine because our kid would just go get braces and take care of it and whatever. But back in the day when dentistry was very rudimentary. Uh, that would not have been an option and they would have had all sorts of health problems because of that. And he refers to this, um, innate drive we have to find mates that are kind of similar to ourselves as something called assortive mating, mm-hmm. which basically kind of down the line is inbreeding. Very distant inbreeding, but inbreeding right. nonetheless. Yeah.
1: So people who want to marry a cousin claim that for them not to be allowed to do so is some form of genetic discrimination, that basically nature and history has kind of led us to this mm-hmm. sort of mating. You find someone you're really compatible with um, and that the, the odds of genetics are no more against them than someone else. You know, we don't ban women from over 40 of having children. We don't. Ban people with diseases that we know that can be passed on, like Huntington's disease. We don't ban them from having children. So why then should these couples be banned? Is there, is there a question? So I think that it's just something to think about. I don't want to come down pro cousin love or anti cousin love, um, but something to think about. I also found a found it pretty interesting. One of these articles pointed out that a lot of these states prohibit cousins from getting married because of how the children will turn out. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there are a lot of um, people who make the argument that gay people shouldn't get married because they can't have children, and that is um, violating some tenet of marriage. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, everyone's just so worried about children when people just want to get married. Now, maybe, Molly,
0: and this is a revolutionary idea, so just bear with me. Okay. Maybe the problem is just marriage itself. Maybe to solve all of these problems in one fell swoop, get rid of marriage
1: whoa yeah are you whoa. how about that something to ponder something to ponder so let us know is is the is cousin love enough to get rid of marriage altogether i mean it would it would
0: eliminate this issue of cousin love gay marriage the high divorce rate
1: all of it just gone gone no more marriage what would we have to talk about Uh
0: babies. We still have babies. (laughs) We would still have babies.
1: Girls love to talk about babies. Just kidding. Um, so what do you guys think? Should we get rid of marriage? Should we marry our cousins? And if you are someone who is married to a cousin,
0: tell us your story. I am very interested to hear this. Molly and I are very open-minded and non-judgmental, so don't be don't be scared to share. And speaking of sharing, why don't we share some listener mail? Let's. So, Molly, I will start off with a dad's point of view on Disney princesses, and this comes from Mark, and he has a five-year-old daughter, and he says, My daughter does love to play dress-up. We happen to have a sizable amount of princess paraphernalia around the house. I don't know how that will evolve, but she seems... But she's been into the fairy stuff for more than a year, and I'm pretty sure she's on the young side of Disney's target audience. I heard a report on NPR just after the Tinkerbell movie came out that Disney was trying to provide an intermediate step for young girls' interests because many five- to eight-year-olds were getting interested in high school musical. That was driving the older kids away from that merchandise because it was uncool to like the same things little kids liked. And he said that it worked in his household and that he's watched the Tinkerbell movies many times. And he said, I have to admit that Disney's approach with the first Tinkerbell movie is a completely different from the classic princess movies there's no love interest in the movie at all she has to navigate personal decisions and accept the consequences of those decisions and find a new solution this is a very good and modern message personally i hope to keep her more interested in pixar films like wally cars monsters inc these seem to have a much more modern approach to a child's development and much better morals than anything i've seen from
1: disney in
0: recent history
1: So thank you, Mark. All right, and I'll read one from Trista before we close up the mailbag. She writes, Growing up, I was Cinderella, so I find discussion and controversy surrounding the princesses to be very interesting. While I can understand where people are coming from when they worry about the aesthetics of the princesses, I get very frustrated when they try to pin many of the body issues young girls face on them. Now, don't get me wrong. I, too, get frustrated with how teeny tiny these cartoon girls can be. However, as a young woman who struggled with an eating disorder, I can tell you that it is those who are closest to you who do the most damage, not some animated ideal in fairytale land. These women who fuss and clamor at Disney for portraying damaging images need to look at their own lives and see how they treat their bodies and their daughters. I can tell you the exact moment my body image issues started, and it was an offhand comment from my mother, who was a wonderful parent and never imagined she was saying anything so damaging. We were at a clothing store and I asked for a size 8 jean instead of 6, and she commented that I gained weight. That was all it took, and the ensuing years of being in the performing arts only exacerbated issues as I was repeatedly told my look wasn't right or that I needed to drop a few pounds. I was a size six at the time. If a mother has a balanced, accepting view of herself and encourages a healthy self-image and a healthy lifestyle in her family, that confidence rubs off and allows children to take criticism and shrug it off a lot easier. Your niece, Kristen, isn't going to grow up thinking, I wish I was as thin as that snow white. I'm going to go starve myself. If all she remembers is you telling her how gorgeous she looked in that costume.
0: That's a wonderful email. You guys send us more emails, please, for us to read. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. During the week, you should head on over to our blog. It's called How To Stuff. And you can find that and lots of articles written by Molly and myself at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?